0: Ron DeSantis, because Ron DeSantis might be more fashion than Donald Trump, and just a little bit smarter.
1: It's not necessarily, oh, we're going to have a civil war soon, but I'm just saying, if you look at that statistic there, it shows just because the civil war is, is over doesn't mean that animosity just goes away, or you automatically are like, yeah, we were wrong, hey, I'm so sorry, yeah, we were wrong. This is the Snapbook, where each week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla help you digest their favorite stories from the world of sports and politics. The, the history books have gotten away with a lot of the bad things that we've done as society because they were non-Christian nations. And just like the dreaded Snapbook, don't be surprised when we start bringing you over to the left side of the fairway.
0: Back in the good old days. You could have gotten a job doing just about anything if you sat there and said, I have a college degree. But now that's not the case. So we're gonna sit there we're going to kids, and we're gonna bat on these kids. We're gonna sit there and say you're gonna owe, you know, thousands of dollars of debt. And in many cases, some of pay for maybe twenty or thirty thousand dollars if they borrow. They might pay two or three hundred thousand dollars in their lifetime with all the competitive interest.
1: Now, here are your Hackers of the Week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla. Welcome back into the Snapbook Podcast. Tim Costello, Scott Barzilla coming to you Wednesday night during the winter meeting, Scott. or winter madness now as things are starting to heat up with that winter hot
0: stove. I don't know about red hot, maybe more like a... Like a, a slow cooker, more like a crock pot. Like smoking a brisket,
1: maybe? Yeah, if
0: that, you know, maybe maybe like one of those, you know, science fair projects where you used to cook the hot dogs, you know, with the aluminum foil. I don't think you I know. ever did that one. No. I got to
1: be honest with you, we're not, we were not big science fair people in the Costello household. Um, one year, I mean, I faked it every year. One year, I, I grew a plant, weaved it through a maze. And then said that like I, I shined a light at the top of the at the top of the thing, and that a plant will go to the light. Uh, one year I like recreated some like famous mathematicians like free throw experiment about like are you more likely to miss or make the second free throw based on if you made the first, and I just faked the whole fucking thing. Um, another year I, I did like math fair and did like restaurant stuff. I mean I I hated the science fair. Scott,
0: did you ever do the volcano? Well, no. No, no, we did So, let me tell you how far we went. So, uh, Ann went to Science Magnet, and I don't know if, uh, if Science Magnet was a thing when you were in Clear Creek.
1: Uh, um, they had, it wasn't Science, it was the school over there, uh, it was like in Webster right there was the one that it used to be.
0: So that was that was the wave programs that that's like your your honors you know accelerated learning. No, and so, it
1: was it was an old rundown school, man. It was for like I remember the term magnet. Oh, uh, no, well, you're
0: talking about? Webster Intermediate. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, not. yeah, yeah, Okay, so basically, what ended up happening was, um, so they, they tore they well they, well actually they have torn down Webster. They've rebuilt it as the new Clearview High School which is where their vocational program is. But they built um, a junior high over by Baybrook Mall. And that became uh, their WAVE program, uh, Yeah, which is like honors. But Anne went to the Science Magnet. And Science Magnet, they actually now have two of them. They have one at Seabrook Intermediate, and they have one at Brookside. We're, lap, you know, dab in the middle of between both of those. I mean, that's, you know... as as bfe either direction so she ended up going to brookside and part of the the contract for being in science magazine you had to do science fair all three years and they actually went through like they they went to this big huge deal like um i remember janet one year she went into the cafeteria as like a science expert and would listen to the kids' proposals because they would have to go through a whole process of making a proposal of what their science for project was going to be that had to be approved. So, Anne did this thing one year. This is how much sacrifice we did, Tim. She did this project where she wanted to test out how much we could figure out about food based on our sense of smell. So, we were blindfolded. And through one round, we had a clothespin on our nose and ate the food. And then the other round did not have a pin. However, we could not eat just regular food because texture is a thing and you could kind of figure it out. So what did we do? We ate baby food. We ate baby food. Let me tell you, if, if you ever, if little Scotty, turns her nose up at the little canned pea things. I want you to taste it, and I want you to understand why.
1: I got to be honest with you. I I plan on making all of my own purees for her. I have the equipment and know-how, and I got to think I can do it better than than whatever they're doing because it looks disgusting. And uh, I'm going to take a shot at it myself.
0: That, you know, but the, yeah, let me tell you that the peas, that was, it was, I mean, we went above and beyond and, and her grandparents participated in that little experiment too. And so, that, I mean, let me tell you, that was. Yeah, that, you know, that's a
1: big one. That's a big commitment from the parents there to, to eat a bunch of baby food blindfolded, not know which one, because they're all gross, but some of those flavors are fucking disgusting.
0: The Peas, the peas are bad.
1: That's the one that stuck with you is the peas, huh?
0: <laughs> yeah, that was. All right. So um, yeah, we we, we were just right before we went on air, the first big trade of the winter meetings period. I'll I'll throw big into air, huge air quotes on that. Uh, Alex Verdugo and his 742 OPS is moving to the Bronx. He will be a Yankee in exchange for three minor league pitchers who I'm not going to name because really it doesn't matter at this point. Uh, maybe they turn into something someday, but it probably won't be next year. So any thoughts, hey, we'll, Tim? We'll see. I, I, I like
1: the move for the Yankees. You know, Verdugo was a guy that you and I had talked about as maybe being linked to the Astros uh, early on in the offseason. He's only got one year left on his contract. Uh, you know, defensively, he's a good defensive hitter. The Yankees are right-handed heavy and, again, they got a pretty short porch in left field. So, um, you know, there's no reason to think you can't get 15 to 20 homers out of Verdugo. Yeah, he strikes out a lot, but he's got a good arm. Uh, he can play left field. He can play right field. Um, you know, you've got a guy in Giancarlo Stanton who, who literally never stays healthy since his name was Mike. You know, he's, he may be healthy when his name was Mike, but since he changed it to Giancarlo, it hasn't happened. So, yeah, you've got some pop, but now you can pretty much just slot him into that DH role, and hopefully never have to move him out of that. Um, it's a good move. If, if any of these guys pan out, you know we'll see. It's only a one year, a one year trial on Verdugo, and you know I, I, I got to think at some point Cashman's on the hot seat, right? And if 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 there's ever a time, you know. If they don't go to the playoffs next year, you got to think maybe him and Boone all at the same time out, and a fresh new regime comes into New York. So
0: he's got to he's got to make some moves this off season. I'm with you on that. Um, I I'm going to mention uh, Stanton. You mentioned the Magic name. He will come up later in the show. Um, but uh, yeah, I've always liked Verdugo as a player. You know, I, I like guys. You know, he kind of reminds me of like a Reddick. You know, kind of guy. You know, fifteen twenty bombs. You know, good contact hitter, good fielder. He's a he's kind of a, you know, kind of a glue piece if you've already got the pieces in place. The problem is with the Yankees, I don't know if they have enough pieces uh, for him to complement that. But, you know, we're not really worried about the Yankees here on this podcast. Um, I know that, you know, the Astros have made a lot of noise. And I don't know if you're a frequenter of MLB trade rumors. Uh, the app.
1: I, I, I follow them on uh both Facebook and um X Twitter. Elon's Fantasy Factory, whatever you want to call it nowadays. I do follow them, so I see a lot of, the st- they've been linked to a lot of different, uh, a lot of different moves so far. There's a lot of a lot of smoke. It's good to see that maybe Dana's taking some of these meetings and, and 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 possibly at least considering making a couple moves.
0: Yeah, I, I follow. I have the app. I don't know if you've got the app on your phone. Um, Didn't know there was an app. Now I need to look into that. There is an app, and it's really cool. Um, uh, of course, I'm, I'm, you have the iPhone, so it has an app where you know you can get, you can just scroll over, and you get both, you know, baseball, football, and basketball. And what I way I've done it is I attach a team. And so I actually get six panels, and so I get, you know, those three major sports, plus I get, you know, the latest in Texans, Rockets, and Astros news. So, like, if I haven't checked in in a while, then I can, you know, scroll over and look, like, say, at the Astros and see, you know, the fact that they signed a guy to a minor league contract from the Cubs organization, throws hard, that's about all we know. What I what what's funny about them is that every once in a while they'll they'll come out with a story and it's clear that they don't have any stories. So like I'll just use the Phillies as an example. They'll they'll come out with a story, Phillies not considering trading Bryce Harper. And you're like, really? I I didn't know that anybody even suggested that they were going to trade Bryce Harper. Like for the Astros are like, you know, Jose Altuve, not to be traded. You're like, really? So they've come out with a couple of those. And and the ones they've come out with is that Bregman is not on the market, which we've talked, you know, we've talked about off and on, you know, you and I have thrown some Bregman deals back and forth together, you know, thinking of what might they could get. And, And then they also said Jake Myers is not. Going to be traded, which that's puzzling. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, who knows, right? And it's always you know who's the source on these things. Um, but yeah, I haven't seen anything. I mean, I've seen Jordan Hicks, they're in on him supposedly. Um, and I've seen, um, who was it? Um, it wasn't Hatterberg. might as well be Scott Hatterberg. uh, Tucker Barnhart. Uh, my Jake Taylor of the off season—that's what I would call Jake tailoring. You know what I mean by Jake tailoring?
1: Picking up somebody who would have been good
0: two years ago.
1: Oh wait, we well, had him three years ago. Uh, four four years, years ago. Four years, <laughs> years ago.
0: <laughs> exactly. Like you give me, if you give me Tucker Barnhart, circa 2019, I'm, I'm in. You give it to me 2023, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Have any thoughts on either of those guys?
1: Uh, I mean, for the backup catcher, I I don't know. I don't want somebody that everybody feels like they need to get a ton of bats to, you know, if you brought in somebody like, you know, a Hank Conger kind of guy, you know, somebody who literally is, he's going to catch once a week and that's it. Just to give our guy a rest. Like I want Yonder behind the plate 100, 120 times this year. So, um to to do that we need to not have a guy who's clamoring for at bats on the other side. I'm not saying I don't want a competent hitter, but I just don't want anybody who's got any cachet or name like uh, somebody that flies under the radar is completely fine with me there. Um as far as Hicks, eh, you know, I think there's I I'd, I'd like to see what else is available. You know, I I don't love it. I I you know, we've talked about what this team needs and to me that doesn't necessarily it's, a, it's another shaky starter, right? Like, at the end of the day, like, I don't feel like that solidifies this rotation. I'm like, oh, yeah, we got some, you know. I, I the, Gone are the days of ultimate trust in pitching moves because we have Brett Strong, in my opinion, right? There was a time when I didn't care who we brought in. I felt like, ah, oh, Brett sees something. We'll be good here. And... For the most part, he was right. Maybe minus maybe Pruitt would be the only one that like didn't really pan out under the Brett Strom see something era, um, but other than that, he was you know he was money. I I, I don't have that same trust anymore, uh, especially you know with, like the Montero deal uh, going long term there. Um, some of the other ones, you know, some of the other guys that have kind of flamed out. You know uh, who's the lefty that the Blake John uh, Blake. Um, yeah. Oh, I know you're Like, like Taylor. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, You know, there's just been a lot of guys since Strom has left that's, uh, I don't know if questionable is the right word, but there's just, I don't have that same ultimate trust in, in whoever they bring in anymore. I feel like we need, if you're going to go get a starter, uh, I don't want to see a reclamation project. I don't want to see a guy coming off a eh, year, like, you know, trade for somebody who's going to make this team better. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so you're 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 saying you don't have a ton of love for Josh Miller or Alex Centron, uh, which you know I, I mean
1: Centron as a hitting coach is like fine.
0: I just um, See, I, thing- he he
1: inserts himself too much for me. Like Centron is a little mouthy and a little chirpy and just kind of starts shit a lot. And I don't know if I would have brought him back personally, but I I don't know like. The fact that well, we can't hit at home is maybe a reason to get a new fucking hitting coach in itself.
0: Well what's funny is is that the hitters, you know, that that you know feel like they're getting good coaching, they're crediting Snicker and not and Trump, who they are back. I mean, we have three hitting coaches. I don't know if you, you saw that tweet, you know, with the, the final staff and it's like, you know, I don't I didn't know we need three hitting coaches, but um and yet, you know, not a single one of those guys is credited with Turning around, Mauricio Dubon, which to me was the being biggest single turnaround of the 2023 season. If you compare it with 2022, that goes to your Don, doesn't it? Exactly. So not not to any coach. Um. The only th- the other interesting thing they mentioned is they mentioned that they're going to try force Whitley as a relief pitcher. Um. I love it. I, I am hundred and fifty percent on board with that because to me, fifty innings from Whitley beats zero. Correct. And really as, as a starting pitcher, he has offered you nothing.
1: That's how I feel about McCullers as well. Exactly. I mean, I'm both, imagine if McCullers is a seventh, eighth inning guy. Uh Whitley is, you know, can be a Chris Tavinsky type, you know, give me an inning and a half, come in, finish an inning, and give you the rest of the seventh, too. I, I see
0: a lot of potential out of Forrest Whitley as a as a reliever. I did, a, I did a profile of Hector Neris for his career and Lance McCullers Jr. in his career on bases per out. Uh, and if you remember that stat. So that's basically, um, if you're looking at it from the hitter's perspective, it's total bases plus walks plus stolen bases plus hit by pitch divided by outs. Okay, so for pitchers, it's the same. It's the exact same formula. Um, McCullers and Narris were almost identical. And that's McCullers as a starter. How much better could he be as a reliever? And and he's Hector Naris. Would you take Hector Naris like performance? That's another example of, do I want 20% healthy McCullers as a starter? Or whether I have a hundred percent healthy as a reliever. And so all these people, well, you're paying them seventeen, that, that money's flushed down the toilet, folks. You've already doled it out, it's gone.
1: But how much are you gonna pay for a big end high leverage reliever? You know, you're well, gonna yeah. pay 15, 20 million. And and I think Lance McCullough has shown you he's a big he's a dog. He's got the mentality coming in. In the ninth inning of a one-run game or the eighth inning of a one-run game is not going to face Lance McCullers. He did it in the World Series. You know, He did it in the ALCS and threw 23 straight curveballs. He's not afraid of that. So I think that's fine. The money's fine if he health-wise can do that because I worry maybe a little bit about uh, as a guy who, you know, he pitched a normal rest but had to change his – you know, routine and that's what started all this arm trouble in Chicago. And so I wonder if, if is he a guy who can who can go three out of four days. Can he go back to back days? And that and that worries me.
0: I yeah, I'm with you there. I think what I would almost like to see him be, and this is gonna be a blast from the past for Astros fans, I'd almost like to see like a Chris Davinsky type of role. I'd like to see a guy, I'd like to see him go maybe two innings, but then take a day off, you know, and not pitch back-to-backs unless we're in the heat of October and you just absolutely need it. But during, you know, the the heat of the regular season, he's a guy that could easily, like, you know, starting pitcher gets blown out, fourth, fifth inning, bring in Lance McCullers, get you six outs you know and get you get your offense a chance to get back into the game get you a chance to get back into Graveman Montero Abreu Presley you know that uh right now and 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 you know there's some people who tossed around the idea of trading Presley you know for some things um kind of depends on what you're looking at but you know
1: you couldn't then, pry if, if I'm if I'm Dana Brown you couldn't pry Presley away from me even if even if he's not the ninth inning guy anymore and you make him the eighth inning guy and go to a you, I I trust Ryan Presley to at least give me a chance to win the game. He's not going to put extra runners on base. He's gonna throw strikes and for the most part in at least the playoffs, he's gonna be effective because he has been effective. Is he is he the ninth inning guy anymore this year? I don't know. But I definitely don't want to give him up. There's not much out there, Scott to me, that is going to give me the value when I already feel like this bullpen got shakier losing Neris because I have no idea what Montero is going to be next year. Every time we go get Graveman, he leaks oil down the stretch, and then this year he didn't even pitch in the playoffs. Uh, Abreu looked like shit in the last couple of games of the playoffs, and, you know, who's, who's the one reliable arm on there? It's Ryan Presley. Yeah, well, I, well, by the way, I'm not 100% sure on this, and I don't know why he would have been, even been there. But I feel like maybe, possibly, I could have seen him at Walmart last week. Well,
0: possibly I don't, so.
1: I mean, he's from the DFW area. His mom lives up here. I don't know why he would have been at the Frisco Walmart. I feel like, you know, if you're on the Astros, you could be a, a Target shopper. But he likes to hunt. He's kind of a little redneck. Maybe he's a Walmart guy. I don't know. Maybe I saw him. I'm, I did a double take. I didn't want to like – because if it was him, I didn't want to be weird. But if it wasn't
0: him, I didn't want to be really weird. You know, I don't want to trade Presley. But there are very, very few baseball players where I say no to trading just out of hand. Because- what,
1: what kind of package are you going to get where you feel like, okay, I won that trade?
0: Uh, one, I think I kind of came up with was, you know, surrounding Eros arena, uh, from the rays.
1: I don't see them giving him up, Scott. But they're the actually shop- on that team. They were actually shopping him. Cause they won't pay him. Exactly. I-, I don't see that being enough to go get him in that case. Well, but- it, you would
0: have to, you would have to sweeten it. And so the you know, package I would offer is I'd go McCormick and, and Presley. And then get a prospect back that you like, in addition to Arizona. Uh, and I would chip in some cash um, because I know the Rays are cash poor right now. Um, but the whole point is, like, and, and, and I've told you about the, the, you know, the story you've probably heard: Yankees and Red Sox owner, you know, in the in the urinal, you know, drunk off their ass, and had agreed to trade Ted Williams for Joe DiMaggio, and then, you know, sobered up and and didn't do it, you know, the next day. But to me, you never know. I mean, that's how I characterized the Moises Alou trade. I mean, you would, you just, Jerry Hunsaker must have stumbled, you know, into the urinal when, you know, the Marlins geo okay, get rid of these guys. Can you take Moises Alou off my hand? Okay, I guess. You know, I mean, it, it had to have been that kind of a deal. And so, to me, there you know, when, when you get thirty guys in a room, at least one of them is an idiot, at least one. And so, I don't, you know, I'm not going to say no to anything. Like Altuve would probably be the only guy I would say no to, just out of hand. Anybody else on this team, you know, I'm going to listen. I'm not going to say yes to a whole lot of stuff, but I'm going to listen. I, I, yeah,
1: I hear you. But it, it, it would have to be an elite package like you just mentioned. Someone like a Rosarina where um, that star potential is there and they just don't want to pay him. Um, I don't know if they'd, they'd even want Presley in that scenario, though. If if you're going to give up you're, at that point your best player because Wander Wanda Franco is, I'm going to assume, not going to be there next year. Um, if you trade Randy a Rosarina, what's left of that ball club? So then at that point, why do you want an elite closer.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, you're obviously, you know, kind of throwing stuff at the wall. I mean, it's just,
1: uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's all semantics, right? At this point, we're not, we're not privy to that information. Um, but it, it's nice to, like you said, there are a few ideas around there. I'm playing a little bit of a devil's advocate as, you know, why would why would someone want? Yeah, it's nice to say yeah, this looks good. But at the end of the day, if you're selling off your best prospects or your best players, it's typically going to be a down couple years, and we're going, which is what Tampa does, right? They they sit, they go down for a couple of years, they rebuild, they get young guys, they come back up, they don't want to pay them, they sell them all off, they get more prospects, and this whole process starts all over. Um, you know, that's that's kind of how they've operated since day
0: one. So. Out of all that, I mean, really, I like the idea, like if you could, if McCullers, going back to him, anything you can do to deepen this bullpen without paying out money, to me, is is the way you really want to go. And to me, you. McCullers is, you know, yeah, that would be a lot of money for what would be a glorified sixth or seventh inning guy. But you're already paying them that money, and you're paying them that money to to rehab. So you might as well, you know, pay them money and get something out of it. Whitley, I would think, is more of a, you know, kind of like a Brandon Belak with more talent. You know, but that kind of role, where he could do a spot start every now and then, He, you know, he would be your you know Fromber blows up in the second inning oh shit we need to bring in somebody you know he's going to be that kind of guy and and if he could give you 50 60 innings take it take it
1: no yeah, absolutely i could could agree more both those guys together if you can get a if you can get 120 innings out of those two guys together out of the bullpen uh are probably not with McCullers cuz he's not coming back till july um but, you know if you get 25 30 innings out of McCullers from July through through October I, I think that's a win because if you could find pitching elsewhere without him you've got Aaron Getty coming uh you've got hopefully a better Fromber next year you've got Verlander i got to think had at least one or two more good years in his in his tank we'll see um, but I, I have no reason to doubt him until he gives me a reason to doubt him, right? The guy takes good care of himself, um, is a student of the game, studies tape, studies film. Uh, you know, he, he people won't say he called a bitching or complaining, or whatever, but he pointed out the difference between, you know, when he got to the Mets and they just didn't have what the players need to be successful versus what we had here in Houston. He takes advantage of those things. He wants to see the camera angles. He wants to, you know, zero in on, on, on the, where his hand is on a baseball, and he wants... All that data. So, you know, even if he's a a three-and-a-half ERA next year, 180 innings, okay. Got to think the offense is is good enough to, to win a majority of those starts.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, you're on the spot there. And I think, you know, Javier is going to be huge next year. You know, if he's 2022 Javier, I mean, this team's going back to the LCS
1: i got to know what happened there. i got to know what the fuck happened to Javier.
0: Well, and and if you get, you know, um, you're going to get Luis Garcia back probably on a similar similar time frame as McCullers. So what does he give you? Uh, Does JP France have a sophomore slump, or can he, you know, be who he was last year? Can Hunter Brown improve? There's a lot of question marks, and question marks kind of scare me. I would love to see, like, one starter that you could pick up somewhere that could be a guaranteed 150-inning guy just, you know, to have that guy in case something shitty happens because there's a lot that can go wrong when you start railing off the what-ifs.
1: Yeah, and that's why, I mean, we know the Padres are having trouble making salary. (laughs) Like, we know the Padres are going to sell. We know this. That's why I want Joe Musgrove like Joe Musgrove is a guy who's not terribly expensive he was damn good 20, last year 20 million dollars that but in today's baseball that's not that much
0: yeah I mean the whole point and I know I'm kind of trampling on future uh, future uh, show considerations here but do you go over the luxury tax that's your whole question. Right. and and so far we haven't done it for any extended period of time. I think we went over it briefly in 2019 when we picked up Grinky. I think we were over it for like 2 months. But this team has not made any kind of significant long-term investment on that level before. I mean, I guess a Bray who's be, you know, you could consider that to be, you know, a considerable long-term investment. But Gosh, I just don't know that this team, you know, I don't know that, I don't know if the ownership has the stones to do that.
1: And that's like you said, we'll talk a little bit more towards the end of our show about that. Um but you've at some point the cupboard runs bare of of prospects. You know, you you unfortunately had to get rid of the guy who built up the system that you rode to six to seven straight ALCSs right at some point you've got to add in with the wallet when the when the prospect part needs rebuilding that's when the owner has to pony up a little bit more and and fill those gaps and that's where being a fucking billionaire comes in handy sometimes maybe you take it on the chin a little bit this year maybe you don't make as much money maybe you say hey I had two World Series runs where I showed a shit ton of merchandise and extra concessions and extra tickets and all this other stuff, and I made a ton of extra money. So it's okay if I don't make as much money this year, or I can look at it as an investment because if I do win the World Series again this year, I'm going to get all that fucking money back and then some. But either way, you're right, Scott. Like, you've got to spend at some point. And I understand you don't want to spend recklessly, and you don't want a... Um, an albatross of a contract that what, you know, you don't want the, the, you know, Gary Matthews Jr. to the angels contract where you, you know, pay a guy who had one or two good years and now you're stuck with him for five or six. You don't want that. But at the end of the day, you have to trust your people enough to know, Hey, we've got great scouts in place. I've got great talent evaluators and they're telling me this is the guy. This isn't Jeff Bagwell coming in and saying this guy's a ball player. He's a real ball player. Get him. Like, no, that's not what this is. I've got scouts. I've got talent evaluators. Dana Brown is my guy. Dana's telling me, let's pull the trigger and go get this guy. Because you know what? Like, when Atlanta lost Freddie Freeman, what did they do? They immediately pulled the trigger and they went and got Matt Olsen. And what did he do? He's been fantastic for them. When When the Astros lost Springer, what did they do? Nothing. When they lost Correa, what did they do? Nothing. They had, they had Pena ready to go. Well, at some point, if you lose Bregman, you've got nobody ready to go. You Your cupboard is fucking bare. You've traded all your best prospects away to go get Verlander back, to go get Granky to go be the team that you wanted to be at this point. You have to spend while you rebuild this farm system.
0: Well, we're, we're, since I don't want to trample too much on, you know, on future topics here. Um, So I sent you a trade proposal on the rockets through text messaging. And this kind of brought on a very philosophical debate, which I think is good to have uh, here for our listeners and the trade idea. And this came after watching live Jalen green have another, Uh, where are you even on the floor kind of game against the Lakers on Friday night? I don't know if you watched the game live, Um, but he had 10 points and seven boards, but he was not a factor whatsoever. Now the the Chicago Bulls are desperate to trade Zach Levine and they can't find any takers. Now your problem is, is that he's not quite a max contract guy. I don't know how you would make the contracts work because, you know, we got Victor Oladipo who's going to make part of that. But I don't know how you get to Zach Levine and his number. But if you could put a deal basically centered around Oladipo and Green, would you give that up for Zach Levine?
1: I don't think so. Just because there's a couple things that we talked about in this conversation. Number one, you're betting that This is your team, right? Like salary cap wise, you're really locked into this being your group of guys going forward that you're going to war with not only this year, but like the next two or three years. And so for that specific reason, I don't love it. I agree with you that the uh, volatility of Jalen Green's performances is a giant problem because you've got to have a floor of consistency as, you know, an upper echelon NBA player that, like, even at your at your worst game, you're going to give me, like, 18-8, and eight, right? Think back to Tracy McGrady. Like, he could not have a great shooting game, cruise along, and you look up, and he had, like, 18 points, five rebounds, four assists. It's, like, not a great game, but, like, you know, he was still effective. He was in there. You know, Harden, say what you want about his time here he was going to give you 25-plus points and eight eight assists and six or seven boards. That was like you could go ahead and pencil it in, if not up to 60 points. With Jalen Green, he could give you 40 or he can give you five, and that's a problem. Everybody in the NBA can go off. That's why they're there. They're the best basketball players in the world. But you've got to be able to play at a consistent level and perform night in and night out, and that's how you stay in the NBA. And right now, Jalen Green, is is, when he's on the road, he's not a good basketball player. And I don't know what it is about maybe he's going out, maybe he doesn't have the same routine that he does at home. I don't know. But it seems to me, Scott, when this team is on the road, Jalen Green is not the same basketball player that he is at home.
0: Oh, that's obvious. Um, and I'll have to plead ignorance. I mean, you can look at Zachary Levine's numbers, and I think he's averaging around 21 points a game. Um, I don't know much about his defense because yeah, I'm not a regular watcher of Chicago Bulls basketball. But what I do know, you know a little bit about him is that he's a fairly athletic guy, and he's a lot more consistent in terms of his offensive production. I guess, you know, what, G, what Green reminds me of, you were mentioning Harden. So I want you to think back to, you remember that, Remember the season where McHale got canned, like like it was like 10 games into the year? Yes. It was right after the Western Conference Finals. And I, I, think that was, I think that was a season where Harden showed up fat and was not playing a lick of defense. Correct. Green almost reminds me of that version of Harden. Um, And even offensively, Harden had more that he could give you every single night because Harden's just a more talented basketball player than Jalen Green, you know, in terms of just skills. I mean, athletically, Green is off the charts, but, you know, Harden's got more skills as a basketball player and always has, you know, even in that season where he was with us for a short time before, you know, being traded to the Nets. He was still doing things offensively, even when he was carrying a like a looked like a beer gut. Um, but Green is, got you know Harden found that next level when they you know they finally they brought in you know that was, was that when they brought in uh, it was the Pringles. assistant
1: that they had the assistant for the end of, through the rest of the season they right got it as an eighth seed and then they brought in D'Antoni the next year. yeah Pringles
0: yeah. The, the the Pringle stash, you know, kind of the uh, that's what they kind of the nickname they gave him, but you know when Pringles brought him in, moved him to point guard, and that's when you got a whole nother Harden, you know, where he was not you know playing off the ball anymore, but I I don't know what you can do with Green, you can't you can't make him the primary ball handler, I mean that. That's a disaster waiting to happen. I'm sitting to say are watching the game. The only, unfortunately, you know, I was looking up, you know, this, the box scores. How many turnovers did he end up having in that game, in that Laker game? I don't know. But I, I saw like three or four just god-awful passes to nobody. And you're just like, what the hell, dude? You know, what are you doing? Yeah, he. I think.
1: At best he could if he could watch some of that early Dwayne Wade footage right when he's not yet with LeBron at the heat where he wasn't the point guard but he initiated a lot of the offensive action I'd be okay with that because Dwayne Wade had such a good first step and he can get by people and he could do a lot of things at the rim and he wasn't a fantastic shooter he wasn't the best shooter in the world but he made enough of them to respect it. That is the best you could ever hope for for Jalen Green. But if he can't figure out how to have that level of intensity every night, it's going to be a problem. I mean, he was minus six um, as a plus minus um, with with ten points and seven rebounds. Like that's honestly not as bad as some of the other guys out there, but but still, um, just not great. Not great effort when you're you know you're supposed to be the the leading scorer. You know, Sengun may be our best player, but Seng- Green should be the guy who gets a lot of points. Sengun does a lot of the dirty work down low, does a lot of passing, a lot of rebounding, does initiate a lot of the offense. But you know, I, I don't know. I-, I, I, what do you think about running the triangle with with this team? You know, I-, I think that's something that maybe I would look into. Maybe looking at running the triangle offense. You know, we've got we've got a guy who can shoot off the off the um elbow extended with Jabari uh with Jabari Smith. We've got a center who can run the offense through the post. We've got an electric shooting guard. You know, I I wonder if if maybe the triangle offense is something that would fit this team.
0: Yeah, I think it's possible cuz you know to finish off what my thinking process was, you know, to kind of let people peer behind the scenes. What I kind of figured is that this team, as currently constituted, if you just substituted Levine for Green, is probably a 45-51 to 50 win team.
1: The salaries uh, are not possible. Like, yeah, it's not possible. Levine makes $40 million. Even right. With, we right. We're $20 million short of it. I looked at the trade machine just now. We were $20 million short with Green and Oladipo, and the Rockets don't really have anybody they could trade to get there until, what is it, like February, we could trade the guys that you just signed? And Are you really going to trade Fred VanVleet for – No, no, no,
0: no. no. This is more of a it's more of a thought experiment, really, and and what what made me think of it is that if you look at the last like at least handful of games, five or six games, even on the road, Jabari Smith has been giving you consistent, fairly consistent production. We know if Van Vleet and Brooks gives you consistent production. We know what Sangoon's given you. We know off the bench that Jeff Green has given you consistent minutes. We know uh, Tari Eason's given you, you know, consistent effort. Uh, we know the holidays given you. you know, so you got a solid eight-man rotation, even without Thompson, uh, who they just sent down to the D League. Um, so you know, you've got, you know, you've got a solid eight-man group right there. What you don't have is just that Green is just not consistent enough. And so, it just kind of made me wonder, like, if you had a guy that scored 18 to 20 points consistently, you know, would that be enough? Like, you know, would you be as good as a Miami Heat team that has no real stars on it? You know, that's kind of the question. No,
1: because Jimmy Butler is a star. Jimmy Butler is a star in this league. You, like, you, could, you may you not could... know him from commercials, but come playoff time, Jimmy Buckets is a freaking...
0: Twelve out. He's well but could you say that Sangoon is on that level even if he's not a similar player? No, is not he yet. Unsimilar- but, you know, he could be.
1: He could be, but you got to get to the playoffs and do it first. Jimmy Bucket, right. is like I mean, I love Jimmy Butler. Like I I still love the conspiracy theory that he might be Michael Jordan's illegitimate son. Like there have are people who have like put up the schedule of when the Rockets played the Bulls in Houston. It was like nine months before Jimmy Butler was born and, you know, Tom Ball and all this other shit. So, yeah, I love Jimmy Butler. I think he, in my mind, that's, you know, Michael Jordan's son.
0: Oh, I, I'm, I'm sorry to uh, break the uh, the basketball talk here, but I just got an alert that the Pirates have acquired the greatness that is Marco Gonzalez uh, from the Braves in his 522 ERA. Uh, he's going to be in their rotation. So another big move from baseball, you know, threatening. Braves making
1: moves, man. They just brought in, they brought in Jared Kalanick. He was Uh, part of that.
0: Yeah. Marco Gonzalez was part of that trade. So they just, they just kind of spun him out. And, and I actually like that deal for them. Um, Nice change of pace for Kalanick. Kalanick looked pretty good early on in the season. He kind of fizzled out there. Um, He
1: kicked, he kicked the water cooler and broke his foot. Uh, And then had to come back late and and try and be the savior of that Mariners team. That was, you know, it was a, people forget the Astros. Yes, they went to the world, the ALCS. Like they they just as easily could have not made the playoffs this year. That was such a tight race down the stretch. Uh, It took a miraculous final week of baseball for the Astros to win that division. The the Mariners are right there with us the whole, the whole way. Um, The Rangers could have easily not made the playoffs this year. And it could have been the Astros and the Mariners. A lot of people thought it was going to be the Astros and the Mariners. Uh, and, and so, um, yeah, I, I, I don't understand the Mariners' thought process there. You know, I understand he struggled. You, you get some pitching. Um, but, again, you've struggled offensively. Like, you have pitching. You have a lot that, of pitching in Seattle. You have no fucking bats. You've got Rodriguez, and you gave up your first baseman, Evan White, in that deal. So what do you what are you doing? Well, I, he mean, I think they're trying to go hard for for Shohei, but I don't think they're going to get him.
0: Well, but they, Evan White wasn't their first baseman. Uh, Ty France was their first baseman. Um, and and well and, and to but to your point to bolster your point, uh, Tiasco Hernandez is a free agent, and they've really made no. Yeah. You know, no sense of a reciting. I think the key thing to think about, and this is the key thing to think about with the Astros as well, is that there's the dimension of time. I don't care what my team looks like on December 5th. I care I'm what, with you. I care what my team looks like on April 1st. And, you know, July 31st, last August 1st.
1: But if I'm a Mariners fan, coming off of the last two seasons where... You know, last, you know, two years ago, 2022, you took the Astros. You you very easily could have knocked the Astros out in the first round of playoffs. You have an offseason where you didn't really do a lot. You bring in Hernandez, and that's kind of Tiasca Hernandez. And then you trade away your closer at the All-Star break, who goes on to be a big part of a team that goes to the world. You know, like if I'm a Mariners fan, they've made some questionable fucking moves. Every time they have a chance to be a team that contends – They don't spend. They don't do those things in free agency. So why would I trust my my GM trading away what I thought were key parts of this team for pennies on the dollar? Some would say
0: Jerry Depoto is what I like to call it. You know, he he's like a Rafael Stone. He's transactional. I don't think he's a builder because you know you're also forgetting they trade away Eugenio Suarez uh, to the as well. So. You know, and they got you know Luis Arias in a trade. He did nothing last year. You know, do you but- know what he
1: reminds me of? There's always that one guy in fantasy who over tinkers, right? Like he can't mm-hmm. just fucking sit yep. still. He's got to hit the waiver wire every week. He's got to send you shit tons of trade requests that are not good trade requests, but he's sending them out. Every someone's gonna bite everywhere. I'm gonna find that guy. I'm gonna find Victor Cruz on the waiver wire. I'm gonna find that guy. That's what Jerry DePoto reminds me of. He can't just sit still and wait for his moment to pick up the right pieces. He's got to make moves. I got to find the guy. I got to do this. I got to do that. He's got to be the smartest guy in the room. And and when he does this, like there's no consistency on that Mariners team. You've got
0: a yeah, really good they, couple
1: pitchers and you've got Julio Rodriguez and then what else? Like what are you building
0: on? They shelled out a ton of money for Luis Castillo. So I mean, they're willing. So to, now, what are you going to do with them? Like, what are willing, you going to
1: do with the, 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 you? Got to win one nothing games.
0: They're willing to spend money because they did sign Julio Rodriguez to you know long term extension as well. I have, you know, but then again, I just don't see Otani going there. Neither do I. I. I so I don't know what are we talking? Cody Bellinger? What are we? What are we? I don't know where I mean?
1: Otani's going to go. That's another one. Like. Let's,
0: let's, well, we'll we'll get to, we'll get, to, yeah, we'll get to that one here in a second. But um, so before we get to, you know, that, that uh, kind of favorite two segments of the week, we did, you know, we skipped over a huge game on Sunday with your Houston Texans. Let's see what you, what thoughts you had as you know, now we're six and a half point favorites against the Jets.
1: First of all, that's astonishing to me that the Texans are only six and a half points favorites against what might be one of the worst NFL offenses I've ever seen in my entire life.
0: But But, it's in New York. That's worth two or three points on its own.
1: But Sunday's game was... It was a a mix of emotions, Scott, because obviously Texans won. It was a great win. Some fantastic plays on defense. But you lose Tank Dell for the season um a lot of people have questioned what he was even doing in on that formation i'm not going to be one of those guys um you know if you only bring tank dell in on pass plays then it's pretty obvious that like hey <laughs> dell's in they're passing like you know it's back when when uh my brother played for the space raiders they they had him play wide receiver but only on running plays they, he couldn't fucking catch so they'd have him come in and block and then like if they had to throw they bring in the real wide receiver could actually do a little catching. So it becomes pretty obvious at that point when number 15 comes off the field, Hey, they're going to throw it, but you know, you can't, you can't find a way to replace that production at this point in the season. So that's going to be tough going forward. But as you look at, you know, as the week wraps up in the NFL with that Monday night loss for the Jags, the Jags lose their quarterback for at least one, maybe two weeks. Um, this, this division's wide, wide open. The the game itself, Stingley, to me, Scott, made one of the most amazing interceptions, I think, in Texans history. Like, just as a play, right? I'm not talking about the, the moment or the – because J.J. Watts' pick six is the biggest moment interception, but just, like, the ball skills, the, the read that he and Petrie made pre-snap together where you know they signal each other like hey fake out like you get burned and i'm gonna i'm like it was unbelievable that was one of the best interceptions in team history just on a pure skill level
0: well and very and somewhat quietly if you look around the league that's four interceptions in the last three weeks uh, for Derek stingley
1: five on the season now right
0: Uh, no that's just normally just Just four. four on the season Four in the season, five five of, in the career is what yeah, it is. Yeah, all in the last three weeks uh, since coming back off of IR. Even uh, the
1: first one was a great play because the way that ball was going down, he had he fingertipped it and like somehow yeah. kept it off the turf.
0: Yeah, and, and Will Anderson had his best game as a Texan. He's he a, was fantastic,
1: blocked punt a, or tipped punt, whatever you want to call it. Affected the punt with his hand, uh, tipped the pass that Stingley intercepted for his first pick. Had two two quarterback sacks, was in Russell Wilson's face all fucking day. Is it me? Or, Russell Wilson was like, shit.
0: Well, he, he had his moments, but, yeah, it was, it was not yeah, a good Yeah, I mean, he got like,
1: – I almost feel like their their best offensive plays, minus the, the big long pass to Sutton, was a fantastic play for them. But other than that drive, like, he got away from a sack and threw something away and got lucky with it, it seemed to me. Like, there was not a lot of timing in that offense.
0: No, and – but that was a great defensive effort. I mean, we were had constant pressure on him all day long. You know, even that last interception, Jimmy Ward, was because uh, Jonathan Gennard was just on his his butt, you know, and he had to throw it up.
1: And I got to be – I don't know about you. As a lifelong Texans fan, knowing nothing other than he got away from the sack and threw it immediately, my first thought was, fuck, here comes a touchdown. Because in the history – in the history of the Texans – that play's always been a touchdown. That play's never been picked off before. Yeah. So my mind was already conditioned to, here we go. We had him. Oh, fuck, he got away. This is going to be an easy touchdown. And then Jimmy Ward just just made an unbelievable basketball-type box-out play on a bigger tight end.
0: Since we're on the air, I'm just going to um, have to be careful with how I tell this story. I think I told this story to you offline, but mm-hmm. I don't think our listeners have been privy to this. But uh, back when I was on the golf team, Um, our golf coach was, um, God rest his soul, uh, about the laziest guy I'd ever seen before in my life. And so basically we were left to negotiate our own, which, you know, of course, as teenagers, we have no negotiating power. So suddenly we're playing for free and now we're having to work in order to play. So, like, we would have to take care of carts. We'd have to clean up, you know, crap. So, our job was to take care of carts at the end at the end of the round. And uh, have you ever? You, you have gas carts at your club. Now you have electric. So, did are you familiar with the concept of a governor? Yeah, it only lets you go so fast. Um, I've heard tale. I can't, you know, confirm neither deny this. But if you were to lift up the seat and find the governor, rumor has it you could bend it a little bit and disable it. And those, you know, 10 mile an hour carts suddenly go 30. Now, I have to tell you, you got to be careful, Tim, in that situation. Not that I would know this from personal experience at all. But, you know, if you lose control of that thing, you could harpoon it in a lake. You could, you know, go into a bunker. I mean, if you're a drunken asshole, I mean, there's all kinds of shit you could get in trouble with in a, in a golf cart that goes 30. But to me, when you look at this text and, and I, I had that, this actually happened to me in Mad Creek. I don't know if y'all have this with their carts, but there are some places it would not let me drive. Like it would literally start beeping and stopping. Yeah. And I-, I hate GPS carts for that reason. Like I was I-
1: happy when our course upgraded, we got new carts without GPS, which is like the cheapest way you could go. But I was happy for that because I could still drive wherever the fuck I want on my golf course.
0: Because I would have to throw it in reverse and like drive in reverse back to the uh, to the car path. And then, you know, it was just... But anyway, anyway. The running game for the Texans is their governor on their offense. Absolutely. It, it, you, we can only go 10 miles an hour. I guarantee if you watch that game... If we're running on first and second down, our chances that we're punting is probably 70, 80% that we're punting on that on that drive because our running game sucks. You had Damian Pierce with a 22-yard run on first and long when nobody thought we were running the ball. So it was like a, oh my God, they're running the ball. If you take away that 22-yard run, I think if my math is correct, we had 67 yards on 29 carries. Now, I'm not really that great at long division, but that's a little over two yards a carry. What are we doing still running the ball? You know, we could debate whether it is it Juice Scruggs at guard instead of Titus Howard. Is it the fact that it's Michael Dieter at center or the popcorn vendor or whoever the sixth string center is these days? Is it Shaq Mason and George Fan on the other side? Is it the fact that Laramie Tunsil's just not a tough guy? You know, I don't know. Is it, you know, the fact that the blocking scheme is not good? I don't know. Is it the fact that, you know, Damian Pierce doesn't fit the scheme? Maybe. Is it the fact that Devin Singletary's kind of like a, you know, maybe a situational back more? Maybe not a, you know, every down back? Maybe. I don't care anymore. I don't want to see it anymore.
1: I saw a comp the other day for Damian Pierce, and I can't get it out of my head. He's Marion Barber. He is fine near the goal line. He's fine in short yardages, but he's not a guy you want to carry your whole running game with. But he's and, not and,
0: he's not fine near the goal line. This Sunday was his first rushing touchdown of the year. I said
1: fine, not good. Like he's—that's he's <laughs> not—that's not fine to me. I mean,
0: I mean, we also you...
1: like don't run like we've been doing a lot of quarterback sneaks, and I have no problem with that as long as nobody gets hurt. But you know, if you listen to the New Heights podcast with with the Kelsey brothers, you know Jason Kelsey will tell you that there's a ninety two percent chance of success rate on a quarterback sneak for one yard. So. Why not go with the play with the play that has
0: the highest percentage chance for success? Well, they started doing it on third and ones. So I don't know if you noticed that. And I'm fine
1: with it. Go pick up yeah. the first down. It works. It is literally that play, the, the tush push or whatever, the brotherly shove, whatever the fuck you want to call it, you can't stop it. If everybody is pushing from behind, I don't see how that play can be stopped. So go get the fucking yard. Go get it.
0: I would like in this, I think ideally if we move into the off season, I think it's particularly with what we're seeing with Dells, I would like another good wide receiver. Yes. Um, I think, you know, Woods, Robert Woods, thank you for your service. Thank you for your veteran leadership. Thank you for your Kevin Walter-esque blocking, but you know the problem is like I was watching on Sunday. Noah Brown had himself a couple of games where he was absolutely nails, but he dropped some balls. Yeah, and 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 then you had that wide open look to Mechie, and I don't know who you bl- put the blame on that one. I don't know if that's a Mechie or a Stroud kind of. I'm just thing. saying that
1: same kind of play is is one of the best touchdowns of Tank season on a on a scramble go play right. Tank knew. Tank and CJ were in, in in sync enough to know my quarterback's throwing light. I need to go deep, and they hit for a touchdown. In this scenario, quarterback's rolling, points to go deep. Mechie hesitates for a second, then goes deep, and 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 that could have been a touchdown. That could have been six points. So um you're you're absolutely right. We need another receiver. We we need and this there's, there's some elite talent um in the draft this season. I know everybody wants Marvin Harrison Jr., but to me If you can go get that kid from Florida State, on it all day. Sign me the fuck up.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's always good wide receivers. And especially whenever you're considering, you know, that you have, I think if Nico Collins is not a number one, he's a 1A. I mean, at this point, I mean, he's nine yards away from 1,000. So, I mean, I don't know what else we want him to do. I'd like to see him put a game like that up on the road. That would be nice. Uh, he's got about 700 yards receiving at home. Um, I mean, and we've got, what, two home games left? Or three? I don't. I don't uh, I haven't looked at the schedule. But, yeah, you need a guy. You, you just need somebody out there that can be a secondary receiver. I mean, you need somebody who has been Tank Dell, but maybe not with those exact same skills. And I think you could find that guy in the draft easily, not even in the first round.
1: Would you, I mean, we're going to be, we're going to be most likely picking in the twenties, right? Somewhere in the twenties. If things go the way you want them to go, I'm fine with taking a wide receiver in the first round at that point, right? There's, there's going to be guys that fall. There's going to be, you know, the, the Texans now are in a position where they can kind of let the draft come to them because where they're at, where, they're, where this team is at now. And I think if I came to you uh, at the starting training camp and said, Scott, Texans are going to be 7-5 and five and they're going to be in, in contention for the division after, you know, week 13, are you okay with that? I think you would have said, sign me the fuck up, right? Like, I think you would have said, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: I don't know if you remember this, but if you remember before the season, we had we had a tiny bit of a wager. I don't know if you remember that. I don't. What was I'm going to guess I'm losing this wager right now. No, no, we are dead ass tied. OK, because what, what was the bad, wager? Wager is who was going to have the better record between the Texans and the Browns.
1: OK, who did and, we wager with?
0: Well, we it was us.
1: Oh, okay. Between us,
0: but we didn't actually wager anything. We just kind of, you know, threw it around. And they're both seven and five. And, you know, of course, the Browns don't have their quarterback, so...
1: And we still play the Browns once, coming. Yeah,
0: no, so that... And, and of course, because we get the Browns pick. And so that's where, you know, this kind of comes into play. I think after seeing the last couple of drafts... um. Nick Casario, I don't think, could find a lineman if he fell on, his, uh, fell on his head and wiggled. I just don't think so. So what I would do is I would take my free agent dollars and I would go out and get maybe one more kick-ass defender and I would get at the very least a center or a guard or both because you're going to have like, do they have a minimum of $67 million to spend let's go out and let's go out and get some guys. And then that way, when you're in the draft, if you see a wide receiver, you like in the first round, go get him. If you see a running back who maybe could be like a Bijan Robinson, you know, maybe you get that guy too. In the first round, if, you know, if he, that you see separation in the ability, and it has to be a guy, I think that can be a threat, both as a runner and as a uh, receiver out of the backfield. But, I'm tired of, you know, drafting linemen in the first and second round having to do jack shit. Uh, I, want, I want to see us actually, you know, we've shown that we can draft skill position guys. I mean, that's the one thing we have shown. You know, Stroud, Dell, Nico Collins. I think if you match up with, you know, this offensive staff, they've shown that they can take skill position talent and make the most out of it. So let's get the guys in the interior. Let's get some veterans. Let's go out there and kick some
1: ass. 100%. And I think there was a guy, his last name was Brooks on Texas, who I really thought would have been a nice gadget back. And then as I'm texting my brother, man, I'd love for the Texans to look at this guy. He gets his knee fucking blown in three different directions. And I'm like, ah, not going to be him. But, yeah, there's there's a lot of talent out there at the running back position that we need that gadget back. You know, we need that guy who – you could swing it out to him in the flat on a screenplay you can line him up in the slot you need you know Christian McCaffrey light you know not everybody's going to get Christian McCaffrey but what the what the 49ers do so well is they've got Mitchell who they can just line up and run the ball with they they can put CJ CMC in the in the backfield at the same time and they're faking a handoff to one guy and throwing a screen out to McCaffrey with you know confusion and so the Texans just don't have the gadget pieces yet to be able to do some of the things offensively that I think ideally Sloak would like to get to. Because when you look at, you know, the, the the Niners offense running pretty much at full steam Sunday night against the, uh, the Eagles, when you've got the pieces in place, you could see some of the elements of like, well, Stroud could do this. Stroud could do this better than Purdy. He just doesn't have AU. He doesn't have Debo. He doesn't have Kittle. He doesn't have CMC he doesn't have these guys but if you got some pieces and we are going to assume there's some similar offensive elements there coming from that coaching tree well shit i think cj could put up even more ridiculous numbers
0: yeah i absolutely um and really the key is you know cuz you think of McCaffrey he wasn't always this good in carolina Think of the key as the play call. He was he was up and down. He was up and down. He had some injury issues, but, you
1: know. They, they, they used him too much in Carolina. His usage rate was outrageous. They used him
0: perfectly in San Francisco. Well, obviously, he's hit another gear, and I, I think that's well, where.
1: If you're going to get him his guaranteed touch, hey, look, I'm going to get you 25 touches, but you know what? Only eight of them are going to be up-the-gut handoffs. The other ones, we're going to get you outside the tackles, and we're going to let you operate in space because we've got two other running backs who can slug it up the middle. That's where Carolina went wrong. He had to take those up-the-middle runs, and he had to get all that
0: other stuff going on too. Yeah, that's true, and that's where I think, you know, Slowick, there's some things that he's done has bothered me. Um, I would have done something different with Tank Dell on that touchdown play. Uh, I don't think your 165 wide receiver should be diving in the middle of the pile. He was,
1: no, he was lined up wide and he chose. Yeah. He's a, he's a team fucking player who tries to go make a play. And if you watch the slow motion, one of the defensive players has his, you know, elbow digging it in. Yeah. The
0: we saw, yeah. Yeah. I saw that. And, and so, I mean, so I, I'm not going to go too much on, on Bobby Sloak, but I think the key is that he wants to run the ball too much and he just, they don't got it right now. It's 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 it's
1: strange to me why it's you know he's slowly but surely letting CJ throw it more, but still, I, I understand you want the play action boots to be effective, but run it out of the shotgun, you know, get some more gadget runs for Singletary or or I can't even pronounce the other running back's name, I apologize, but number 33, you know, um,
0: our kicker, our backup kicker.
1: Yeah. Our backup kicker. Anything would be better than, than Pierce taking the ball on what should be a fucking play action and getting a yard when the play that was designed and Nico Collins, wide open streaking down the fucking sideline. They, he literally first play of the second half was supposed to be a play action pass. And you see him just take the ball.
0: Well, imagine this, imagine like, okay, first down you throw, Let's say you get seven or eight yards. It's second and two. If you run it at that point and you get a yard, you're still third and one. I mean, you still got your entire playbook that you can go to. If you're running it on first down and you're second and nine, and then all of a sudden something happens like on Sunday where, you know, they get pressure on you and sack you or force you into incompletion, now you're third and nine or you're third and 15 and you're you're, you're fucked. You know, that that's that happened too many times on Sunday. Yeah, the momentum of the game gets completely well, at least the drives, right?
1: The the momentum on drives gets completely stopped. You'll hit a big play, and then they'll go back and run it on first down and lose two yards and now it's second and twelve after they just hit a fifteen yard pass, right? And that, that shit kills drives. And it this team has the potential to be explosive, Scott. Um and I think maybe I, I don't know what it's gonna take for Bobby Slowick to To rev the engine and go and go red, red line, you know, like, hey, you don't have to ease off the gas. I don't know what else CJ Stroud has to show you to say, turn the governor off. Give me the ball 50 times a fucking game. I got it. We talked about it previously. Those little plays in the short flat, like the West Welker routes that he used to run in New England when they didn't have a semblance of a run game. That's what keeps the safeties up. That's what brings the safeties into the box. You don't necessarily have to pound it between the tackles. You can use your short passing game to hold the safeties in check. You don't have to waste two downs, every fucking set of downs on inside the tackles runs.
0: All right, Tim. I think we're transitioning to that part of the week. Although we've added a feature last week and I want to keep it going. So before we get to our scumbags, do you have a tip of the cap for the week? I'm going to let you go first on this
1: one because then I introduced a, a semi-new segment this week as well that we talked about. So I'll let you take the, yeah. the tip of the cap this week and then I'll, um, I'll come up with mine
0: here. It actually happened this evening. Now, something that my wife and I started years ago is we alternate where we go on what we call a date night with our daughter. So, you know, some weeks I'll take her out, some weeks she'll take her out. Uh, And this was my week. So I was like, you know what, we're going to go to Cracker Barrel. Um, And so we went to Cracker Barrel and we see a sign outside in the front. It says like, you know, this evening the Cracker Barrel will close at 7 p.m. We got there like a little after 6. I'm like, okay. We got plenty of time. We'll be fine. And we got in and out and we ate, went back out to look at the sign because I really didn't take that much of a close look at it going in. And it's because they are throwing a party for their employees. In fact, I sent Tim the picture on the phone. Um, So 7 o'clock, they shut that thing down and they threw a party to say thank you to their employees. And and one of the things that's always kind of pissed me off over time is I – as a kid, I remember nothing being open on Sundays. Nothing was open on Sundays. Um, we finally, you know, maybe grocery stores. And that was it, right? And we started to ease some things. And then the mall started opening up at noon. And But we couldn't buy alcohol until afternoon. And then things started creeping. And you see the same thing. Everybody goes nuts over Black Friday. Tim and I are out in the golf course on Black Friday, and, and and I would not want it any other way. I would not want to be shopping on that day. But have you noticed, Tim? How Black Friday has turned into like Thursday night?
1: Yeah, I mean, there was. I think we're on the downside of that trend, though. I think because online shopping has really gone to such a level, uh, the deals start Thursday night. But I think less and less people actually leave their Thanksgiving gathering to go fight the crowds. Maybe that's just me in, here in Dallas, but like Amazon does stuff on, on black Friday and cyber Monday. I, I felt no need to, to
0: fight that. Oh no, I didn't either. And but-
1: I, and to be, to be honest with you, I fucked up and didn't get the water for my baby's formula that we needed like earlier. So on my way home from golf, I say, hey, babe, I'll just, I'll stop at target and I'll get the water and, and stuff that we need for the baby. And I can't find a fucking spot anywhere. And then it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, oh, Black Friday.
0: And I'm just like, you're lucky I love you, kid. Yeah, but I have to say a tip of the cap to Cracker Barrel for, you know, giving your employees basically the night off. You know, and, and, you know, yeah, it's December 5th. You know, it's not, you know, it's not anywhere, you know, that really that close to Christmas, but hey. We got so many examples, you know, Amazon, you mentioned them. they are people that will work their people to the bone and, and pay them diddly. So my uh, kudos to a company actually looking out for their employees, even if it's just a, a simple gesture.
1: You know, it's funny when I was growing up working for my dad, he would do what he would call a holiday party because, um, it would take quite a while to get that Christmas party planned, and his employees were badger him and badger him, and he'd never do it during the Christmas season because that's his busiest time. And then uh, New Year's was always busy because everybody who got gift cards was bringing them in. So by the time that party happened, it was like after Valentine's, and so it was just a holiday party every year. Like he'd like run out the bowling alley for everybody, and you know buy a bunch of beer and bring over pizzas and stuff like that. But um, we did them at Grimaldi's as well when I ran that restaurant in Sugarland. Land. Um, we'd, we'd trade out with somebody and uh, close the restaurant early and bring in a karaoke machine. I always push for karaoke machine. Um, they had some other ideas, but I said, we're going to we're gonna move this budget around and we're going to karaoke tonight because uh, I was in charge of the holiday party myself. But, yeah, it's, it's good to see employees being noticed. Um, I personally am a fan of the cash bonus, but uh, if that's not an option...
0: Uh, any appreciation is good. Maybe they uh, do do a cash bonus. You never know. I mean, they're not going to tell maybe. us, right?
1: Yeah, they could be giving it away at the party tonight. Who knows? I, I have a tip of the cap um, for the city in which I reside, the Colony, Texas. Uh, on Saturday, I took the kids and my wife to uh, the Festival of Lights parade that our, our fine city puts on every year. And Scott, it was it was a like thirty straight minutes of, of cars and jeeps and golf carts and people pulling their boats, all decorated in lights, all themed. Everybody handing out candy. I got more candy than my daughter did on Halloween. It was absolutely fantastic. Uh, some of the lights were were wonderful. Um, it took me two minutes to get to where where the parade was from my house. Parked in the church parking lot. There, uh, I had I had made some uh, you know little picnic. Dinner for everybody, and just a, a nice holiday parade to get the season started off on the
0: right foot. That's uh, oh, that sounds wonderful. We we actually, you know, we we as a family, we we kind of pick out a few things that we want to do every year. But one of the things that's become a tradition is uh, we drive over to Green Tea Terrace, which is that you know golf course, but they have Christmas lights. They they go full out. I and- love
1: light hawking. I absolutely love. Oh getting like a thermos of cocoa and like going to like the really nice rich neighborhood and just driving around, looking, looking at lights. Like there's one neighborhood in Arlington um, that's themed, like every street has a theme and they all work together. You know, this is the 12 days of Christmas and you know, this is Harry Potter Christmas or, you know, whatever it is. And every street's got a great theme. Uh, We don't have that, but the, the parade was really cool. And you know, our city's not very big. We're kind of wedged very tightly between Plano, Carrollton and Frisco. Um, but we do some really cool stuff and and the city itself does a lot of really cool stuff for the residents. We, we do movies in the park. They do the, the parade. We've got a water park. Um, so yeah, you know, great job by the city putting on a fun event. Um, seemed fairly stress-free. They, they closed down the street for like 30 minutes and then got everybody out of there. So, um, you know, our, I, I got to think our police are some of the least problematic police I've ever encountered in our entire life. So um, again, great job. Well done. And, um, you know, looking forward to the next one. This is something that, our, you know, our family decided, hey, we're going to do this every year. So nice to have some traditions like that.
0: There you go. All right. Shifting our attention to some people that maybe we are not so happy with.
1: Yeah. You know, Scott, this is a new category that I think needs to be created. Right? We've got plenty of people out there that the jury's out. Right, You are a scumbag, and there's no question about it. But then there's some other people who we kind of need to keep an eye on. Right, like They're doing some things that we're not okay with. But if they change their ways, they're not scumbags anymore. So I think for the inaugural, we got our eye on you, it needs to be Jim Crane. You know, we talked earlier about the need to spend money and the roster that you have that needs to be filled, the the cupboard being bare of prospects. You've been to seven straight ALCSs. You've got Jose Altuve. You've got Alex Bregman. You've got Verlander all towards the twilights of their, their prime and their career. This is the time to spend. The window is open. Go spend money and do it. We have supported this team through thick and thin. Not everybody has, but you know what? Enough Astros fans have given you enough money since 2015 that you can afford it, Jimmy. You've got this, okay? You've got this. You don't have to front the full costs of the Houston Open anymore, okay? They've got a sponsor there, so you can save some of that money, put it towards some free agent signings, pay the luxury
0: tax, and then we don't have to keep our eye on you anymore. We could go into an entire show about the shenanigans that owners do in terms of their budgets. In ter- uh, do you know what amortization is? A little bit.
1: I mean,'m I'm, I'm not a financial guru. I know the light terms of it.
0: So basically, it allows you to take equipment and depreciate it as an asset. Right. Okay. Because that you would be able to. Um, that That's you what can,
1: salespeople do with their cars, right? Like, Yeah. I do car, gonna, this your-
0: yeah. Car. And you're going to have to replace it. <laughs> like, you know, if you're like a lawn, you know, if you own a lawn business, you're going to have to replace the lawnmowers at certain points. So it, it allows you to write it off as a taxable expense. And I don't know if you knew this, but baseball players are eligible for amortization. That you can write off a player in his first, I think, seven seasons. So that he counts double for tax purposes. So if an owner sits there and tells you, Oh, I'm I'm not making a profit. Well, according to Uncle Sam and the IRS, he isn't. But according to what he's actually spending, and the owners have never opened their books, and I think the Braves did this year, this last year, on accident and it turns out that they were they were generating something in the neighborhood of 5 or 600 million dollars in revenue that's the braves now how much are the astros generating i couldn't tell you because i don't know what you know our cable contract is compared to to the braves i couldn't tell you you know i could look at attendance but i don't know you know but anyway
1: maybe i'm a novice maybe i'm looking at this completely through rose colored glasses but if it was me and I owned a professional sports team and I'm a fan, I don't care about making a profit. I don't want to lose money. I may just want to try and break even, but as long as everybody gets paid and I still have my businesses that I got this club with, why do I need to make money? Because at the end of the day, these things all grow in value, right? Like my net worth is going to continue to go up as long as I own this team because I bought it for 2 2 billion, I'm going to sell it for 6. So what do you what does it matter if I make a hundred million this year? Maybe I'm looking at it all wrong, but like to me, I feel like billionaires play the long game. And all that they do is take loans off their net worth. So as long as you own this team, your net worth is going to continue
0: to grow. What the fuck does it matter, Jim, if you don't make as much money this year? So like for instance, I don't know if you saw how much Mark Cuban sold the Mavericks for.
1: Right. He got and that was, that was like six and a half billion, and it wasn't even for all of his. Ownership was just a controlling stock of it. And he bought that team for like $289 million.
0: It was like 18 or 19 times, I think it was, something like that. Right,
1: And so at the end of the day, he he played the long game. Yes, they made money year in and year out, but like he's got other businesses. Mark Cuban's a businessman. He's not relying solely on the Mavericks for his income. He's a fan. And I guarantee you, if you go to Mark Cuban and say, hey, you can be in seven straight Western Conference Finals. You can win two rings. And you can go to another couple NBA finals. But the Mavericks specifically are going to just break even those years. Everybody will get paid. You know, all your all your front office people, all your low-level, everybody in the organization makes their money. But after that, it, it's pretty much a wash. You personally will not make a profit for these seven years. But it will be the best seven years of your team's history. Are you okay with that? And not knowing Mark Cuban personally, but knowing, like, the kind of owner he was, where he literally was a fan on the court. I got to think that guy says yes to that.
0: Yeah. And, and if you look at and I, I've got a book I can lend to you, um, Baseball's Greatest Dynasties by Rob Nyer and Eddie Epstein. It only goes through the, the turn of the, uh, the 20th century. So it, it finishes off with the 98 to 2000 Yankees. But if you look at every team in there, there is an end. There is an end when this the gravy train ends. Um, like if you look at the Yankees, uh, the Yankees were in, they won most of their World Series, like 20 of their World Series in between 1926 and 1964. But in after 1964, that thing hit a pretty hard end. Mickey Mantle got old. Roger Maris did not age well. Um, they, you know... They all didn't have enough secondary pieces. That team became garbage for the next decade. So the thing is, this Astros run will end. It will. We saw the New England Patriots run. I think we can all agree, officially it's done, right? So the question is, how many years do they got left? I'd like to think it's like two or three. Because I'm looking at it realistically. I don't know how much longer we get peak level Altuve. Um, I don't know if they can really bring afford to bring back both Bregman and Tucker. Um, and then you've got some other guys that are going to start getting more expensive there as well. McCormick's going to start getting more expensive at that point. Pena might start getting more expensive. Uh, your some of your pitchers, you know, might got, you know, start getting more. Fromber, I don't know if you can afford to bring it. So, point is, is that really I would say, let's say two years. So the question is, you know, as an owner, do you make moves? to push that window back to make it four or five years, but you're not quite as good. Or do you go balls to the wall for those two years? And then to say, you know what? In 2026, we are going to suck ass, but it's okay. You know,
1: I think you push it. And I, I, I don't think i I'm, I'm curious on this one. I think time will tell, but I don't think Altuve falls off as hard as we think he does um, you know, and, and this is apples to oranges, but it's you know, let's look at a comparison. Craig Biggio's final few years of his career, right? And I think Biggio's a good comparison. Maybe he's not, but I do. This this was Jose Altuve's year, you know, 33rd year of life, right? Thirty-three years mm. old. Well he hit three uh three eleven with seventeen homers and fifty-one RBIs in ninety games. Well when Craig Beagle was 33 years old. He hit 297 with 16 homers and 50, 73 runs batted in. You know, I, I don't see a reason that, you know, in, in, in Craig Beagle's final year, he hit 250 um, with 31 doubles. The year before that, 246, 33 doubles, 264, 40 doubles. I don't see Altuve completely falling off the face of the earth. I see him being maybe a 250, 260 hitter, but he's not going to obviously sustain. This level of success, but I do think if he turned into Craig Biggio his last five years, it's still a two fifty-two sixty hitter who's going to hit more than thirty-five doubles every single year.
0: Well, I think that's reasonable. But if you go the way this, what the, if you read the tea leaves and you say that they sign him to an extension, however long that is, and say so he retires, the last three years, drive.
1: the last three years are probably not going to be worth the first, be the worth the same value as the first three, right? If you give him six,
0: right, or or five, or whatever the case may be, right? Bregman's likely gone. Uh, Tucker may or may not be gone by the end of that window. Fromber may be gone by the end of that window. So, yeah, you'll have a decent Altuve. But a decent Altuve doesn't take you anywhere if you don't have anything else around him. I mean, you'll have Jordan, sure. but no, You're right.
1: You're right. And I don't disagree that this will end. I don't disagree that this will end. I just think that every owner has a choice on when it will end Scott right if you're if you're willing to pay the luxury tax like for the I think the Yankees were a great example um they may not have won World Series after that 90 after that 2000 team but they continued to spend and keep themselves relevant and keep themselves in the conversation and that you know they did win a World Series in 2009 I think it was, or 2008, yeah. I think it was 2009, because they spent. They went yeah. and got Mark Teixeira. They went and got CC Sabathia. They went and got um, Nick Swisher. They went and got these guys that filled the holes on the roster that they had. When Bernie Williams couldn't play center field anymore, they went and got Jacoby Ellsbury. Now, for the rest of that contract, was he a dud? Yeah,
0: but the year that they won the World Series,
1: he paid off for him.
0: Yeah, and I think in, in what's key, and I've I heard this mentioned they missed the playoffs in 2008. Right. And so, it was the and, year
1: Yankee Stadium closed. They missed the playoffs, and they went and spent
0: huge going into that offseason. And so I think – but if I look at the – and I don't want to look at the Yankees in depth. but
1: I, I was just using that as an yeah. example of you can sustain your window a little bit longer if you're willing to pay for some tax.
0: I would argue that actually they ruined that team when they panicked post-2001 and they lost that series against the Diamondbacks to that fluke single by Luis Gonzalez. You know, Mariano Rivera lost, I think, his only game that he ever lost in the playoffs. And they panicked. Um, But I'm kind of skating into scumbag territory here. Uh, So I'm going to let you lead off with the scumbag since I got to lead off with the the tip of the cap.
1: Yeah, so I... I still have an X account. Uh, I know you don't, Scott. But for that reason, every I feel like maybe I should hold on to mine just in case I see something crazy and I can screenshot it and send it to you. And, and today I came across one of those tweets. Now, we all remember when LeBron James held the decision and the amount of shit that he took for what was – if people don't remember – A charity event that raised a shit ton of money for the Boys and Girls Club of America. People forget about that. But he got hammered for the fact that he made his free agency so public and his decision so public. And he got hammered for it. People didn't like how Carlos Correa was all over last year, you know, with the Mets or with the the Giants first and then the Mets and then ended up with the Twins. People didn't like that. Aaron Judd said he was going to go to the Giants only to leverage that to get a deal back with the Yankees that he wanted. People gave him a lot of shit for that. So what does Shohei Ohtani do? Shohei takes all of that information in and just says, I'm going to go about my business. I'm just going to take my meetings and then I'm going to sign with one of these teams. And then when that happens, Everybody will know why I'm playing because I'm Shohei Otani and it's news and it'll get out that I signed with this team, just like it gets out that I met with this team. But I don't need to make it a production. I just want to meet with teams, figure out you know, who my next employer is going to be and, and go forward. And for some reason, Buster only had a problem with that. Buster only does not like that Shohei Otani is being so secretive with his free agency process. But we also don't like when guys are open with the process and they let you know who they're meeting with and, and the, the deals get out and then, no, no one likes that. But we don't like when we don't know either. So it just proves these guys are just fucking blowhards, man. And it's just like what you said with, with MLB trade rumors. There's nothing to write about right now. Buster only does not have a story to write about with the winter meetings That is worth a damn. Not one that is up to that Buster-only, news-breaking quality. So what does he do? Yellow bullshit journalism of, he won't tell me where he's meeting, and I have to find out afterwards that he met with the Dodgers, and I couldn't break the news. Fuck off, Buster. Fuck off.
0: You know, before I left Twitter... I had a run and gunning battle with him way back in 2019, back when uh, we made the uh, fateful trade for, you know, the closer to beat his wife. And allegedly. He, allegedly. Well, that's what I pointed out. And I said, you know, a lot of this stuff, you know, hasn't been proven, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt. And so he, and he started doing, you know, the whole virtue signaling and all this kind of, you know, garbage, like he was, you know, a better man than apparently I am. Uh, so yeah, I've never been a big Buster only fan. Uh, my thing is is that I sent you the center field uh, index earlier this week. I don't know if you've taken a look at it. I don't know if you I, saw. It.
1: I, I took a peek. I took a little peek. I
0: don't. I'm not. I'm not going to go to last week's conversation. I'm just going to okay. point out. We're going to let that one go. I'm going to point out. Did you see where Mike Trout was? I uh, honestly, I didn't. I was looking for two specific names on that list when I looked at it. Mike Trout is already a top five center fielder of all time, according to the index. And you know what happens is that, and and what happens is is that people like Buster Olney they complain because he's too boring. So they want to turn Mike Trout into somebody that he's not. They want to turn him into you know this big personality. He, that's not who he is. And and you can disagree with you know where he ranks in the history of the sport, but I would say that. If you go back to, like, say, 2018, 2019, you know, from the beginning of his career on, you'll, you'll struggle to find, you know, too many players with a better seven or eight-year stretch than what Mike Trout had. Um, Shohei Otani is kind of a similar guy. He might be the best baseball player in, in, that's currently playing in our generation. When you consider especially the value that he brings as both a pitcher and a hitter, I mean, if you look at just strictly war, hes I mean, if he's healthy, he's the MVP every year. I mean, if you're just looking at strictly value. If he wants to handle his situation privately, that's who he is. Let him do it. If another player wants to be, you know, if a Tim Anderson wants to act like an ass, you know, before he turned into dog shit, if he wants to sit there and be boisterous and all this, that, and the other, that's who he is. Let him be that guy. I don't understand why we have to turn the biggest star in the sport into something that he's not. Just enjoy who he is. Not everybody's
1: Dion, right? Like, not everybody needs showtime. When they roll up to visit, not everybody wants the red carpet rolled out and lights and glitz and a limo and all that shit, right? But some people do. Some people are Dion Sanders. Dion is Dion Sanders, and that's what he wants. And if that's how you get him to come to your team, great. But you know what? Not everybody wants it, and as fans, we shouldn't expect it either, right? Like we sh- we we realize that like if I'm going to interview for a job. And they throw this much pomp and circumstance at me, I'm questioning what they're trying to get me to not look at. Right? Some people may love that. Some people may be like, "Wow, I feel really wanted at this company. I'm gonna, I'm gonna work here." But if I went to an interview and they literally are like, you know, "Hey, here's some free lunch," and "Hey, here's, you know, here's a gift card here," and "Hey, here's a, you know, a car wash membership," and all this other shit, I'm like, "Why are you not?" What, what's going on here you know why are we why are you trying to draw my attention away from the work that actually needs to be done everybody's different and everybody when they search for a new job is different we need to accept that understand that at the end of the day he's looking for a new job just in a, a little bit different way that we are right he's not going on indeed there's only 32 teams that are, are offering this position but at the end of the day it's an it's a job interview and everybody interviews differently
0: yeah, and and you're looking in, and this is let's be honest. I mean, we're talking if you're talking four hundred, five hundred million dollars, how many owners can pony that up? All of them can pony it up. How many will? Like I would say, half a dozen,
1: maybe. I I think there's like seven, to eight total teams that you could really consider, quote unquote, players. And if he goes back to the Angels, it's the biggest travesty of all time. I mean, at some point, um. It, you're playing it I mean you could literally have two of the best baseball players of all time playing in a fucking vacuum that no one even knows about or get, you know care. Like they play no meaningful baseball
0: games. but again, that depends on him and what he wants. you know because you're you're talking about a travesty is because you value winning and that's you. If he values familiarity, if he values, hey, this is an organization that's treated me really well, we don't know what goes on behind the scenes in Anaheim. What we know is what we see on the field, and we see a 70-win team every year. And we see, you know, beyond Trout and him, nothing. Yeah, so- I'd
1: like to know what Mike Sosha did that nobody else is doing, right? Because, like, Mike Sosha found a way to be – But they had a good baseball team there,
0: but they had more talent. I mean, that's the difference is like, you know, when we were talking about, you know, the NBA and whether or not you could win without stars, that might be true in the NBA. But in baseball, you can't just have two or three stars and say, okay, we're good. I mean, you got to have a roster and, and that's, you know, that that's the difference. And this is the same as true in the NFL too. You can't just have two or three stars. You can't just sit there and say, okay, I'll take Peyton Manning. You give me 46 other scrubs and well let's go. No, that doesn't work. I mean, you, you gotta, you know, it just, you know, baseball, you have to have a solid core of 10 or at least 10 or 15 guys that can play well. That's what the Astros have always had. And that's, you know, what we're hoping to get back to, but let me get to my uh, scumbag. Let me read off baseball reference here. We mentioned Giancarlo Stanton in the previous uh, couple of segments ago. Just games played starting in his career in 2010. 100. 150. 123. 116. 145. 74. 119. 119. 159 with his 59 home runs and 132 RBIs. Hey, we're the Yankees. Let's go get them. 158 games in his first season with the Yankees. Then here we go. 18, 23, 139, 110, and 101. Okay. So... Looking at my meager math skills, in a career that has lasted 14 seasons, he has played exactly three seasons with 150 more games. So what happens? Brian Cashman is asked about you know the season. He's feeling the pressure because I think he is on the hot seat. And he puts Gio Carl Stanton on blast, if you listen to the New York media, who is my first half of this scumbag. Because all he said was, you know, basically Giancarlo Scanton gets hurt. Well, I'm looking at the numbers, Tim. Seems to me he gets hurt a lot. And it also seems to me that if I'm looking at his seasons, he has one season with more than 40 home runs. He has only three with more than 100 RBIs. And the Yankees just happened to trade for him after his very best season, of which he won the MVP in the National League. Because this is what the Yankees do. The Yankees look for the guy that had the very best season last year, whether or not that's sustainable at all, and that's where they go. They're going to go get that guy. Well, geez, how did that work out? Well, Brian Cashman's feeling a little bit of sting, so he just mentioned the obvious. And if you're looking at the headlines, it probably what it should say is GM tells the truth and later apologizes because he had to go groveling back to Gio Carlos Stanton and his agent. Oh, I'm sorry that I told the truth and said that you're always hurt because, well, you're always hurt. And last year he hit, you know, a robust 191. The year before that, 2022, oh, man, a blistering 211. So why are we, you know, why is the media protecting this guy? And, you know, and, of course, the agent has to be all butthurt. Oh, how dare you say that about my client? Okay, just looking at salaries here. So Carliston, if I go down on the baseball reference page, okay, it looks like, you know, based on my math, that he let's see he's getting 32 million dollars next year this last year he got 32 million dollars 29 million in both 2021 and 22 26 million although that was you know prorated although in 2020 26 million in 2019 so that contract i can't even do the math on that that's way too much damn money because he's getting paid all the way through 2027 What's he doing for the Yankees? So the press and the agents for Mr. Stanton, that's my scumbags because all the GM did was point out something that is absolutely true. And that is that Stanton is more often than not hurt. And, you know, if you want to compare Jordan Alvarez to them, I mean, you could compare him into, uh, in, in terms of his ability to stay on the field Alvarez is a much better hitter than Giancarlo Stanton ever dreamed of being. He's a guy that hits a bunch of home runs. He is a guy that is probably the 2010s, 2020s version of Dave, Dave Kingman. He's a little bit better, but
1: if you not gave, all. if you gave if you gave Chris Carter a full seat like a, this many at bats, he's Chris Carter.
0: I mean, maybe a little bit better because if you look, he's got a 259 career average. So, but you
1: know what? For the uh, money, I'd rather have Chris Carter on Chris Carter's salary. You're going to get very – if you want to talk money ball, Chris Carter is your money ball version of John Carlos Stanton.
0: Oh, shit, yeah. Now, if, if you gave – now, here's – so, you know, this is getting to the point of obvious, right? I'm looking at his war scores. Outside of that MVP season, he's got one season at 6.5 in Miami, one season at 5.4 in Miami, no such seasons in a Yankees uniform. That's because he's a liability defensively, if he doesn't hit for average. If I gave you that contract for Kyle Tucker, you'd take it in a minute, wouldn't you? But what's the difference? Kyle Tucker plays defense.
1: Kyle Tucker has value outside of hitting home runs. Well, I trust Kyle Tucker to stay healthy for the extent of his career
0: because he's not a steroided up muscle head. Well, that's the key is attendance is a part of the grade. Your best ability is availability. And, that, and that's the lesson here. And and if you look at Tucker, really, I would say that, you know, in many cases, in, in many respects, he disappointed this season, particularly defensively. His numbers were a little bit down, if you look at him. He still had 5.4 war. He led the American League in RBIs. So, if you're a Stanton's agent, you got to sit down. You, you got to know, his war last year, minus 0.8. Okay, so you would you could have put in a AAA left fielder out there.
1: And I got to wonder, too, like the odds are he's not signing another contract after his time with the Yankees are done. And if it is, it's going to be like a minor league deal or like a one-year $5 million deal. So I understand you want to stand by your man or whatever, but the odds are you already got your cut. You already got your cut of this. And no matter what happens, you're going to get your cut of this because you negotiated this deal. Is it worth embarrassing yourself like this? Or is it just like as an agent, you have to say you have to say this or you're not going to get other clients?
0: Well, so just to give you a quick story. So um, I remember hearing this. I have to look it up. So Mark McGuire, when he was with the athletics, he had a season where he hit, okay, ni- uh, there it is, 1991. He hits 201. He goes out to a comedy club and the comedian sees him and says, Hey, they're selling a new Mark McGuire burger here at the club. It costs $2.00 and one cent. And you know who, who was laughing the loudest, Tim? It was Mark McGuire because you know what he knew I sucked this past year I yeah. got I got to own it and, and he, he can't laugh at yourself
1: who 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 can you laugh at
0: and he comes back the next year his 268 with 42 bombs and 104 RBIs so if I'm Stanton's agent I'm not going to sit there and yell at the GM I'm going to sit there and say you know what we realize you know Giancarlo realizes that he's been a disappointment so far, and he's dedicating himself to be healthy and to be better for the Yankees next season. Boom. That's all you need to say.
1: I'm with you. The agent the agent could have gone differently about it because um, I'm with you. Brian Cashman was right. Uh, but speaking of being right, I feel like I am right on the immaculate good a lot more than you are. And I want our yeah. fans to know that Scott is getting his ass kicked on a regular basis. His baseball knowledge is is not uh, not holding up to mine right now, Scott. And anything you want to say on your immaculate grid performances so
0: far? How long have you been playing immaculate grid? Uh I don't know, like 120 straight days. How long have I been playing immaculate grid for? I don't know, Scott. Maybe ten, fifteen days.
1: Hey, some people are naturals. I've been, I've been good uh, since day one. I, I, well, I'll tell you what. Um, we- I will say you do notice trends, right? Like you notice certain players, like Octavio Dotel, guys like a cheat code. He pitched for like eight different teams, or uh, Bartolo Colon, or uh, Edwin Jackson, or um, the the guy, the lefty for the Dodgers, who's old as shit. Uh, Rich Hill. like Guys like that are kind of cheat codes, but they hurt the uh, the rarity score.
0: Well, what I'll say this is that I think you and I both have our, our different wheelhouses. I'll say that. Yes. Um, I think if you probably have a little bit more intimate knowledge of the uh, the 2000s and the 2010s in terms of like who played for who.
1: I'd even say um, like... 95 through like 2015, I think I got the edge there.
0: If you'd like if you'd like somebody to pull a, a 1920 guy out of your butt, I'm your guy. And
1: that's that where would, you should be you should be taking advantage of that knowledge. But
0: the problem is there is that there's some categories where that just doesn't help. Like first round picks, that was that started in 1960s. Uh, and I am terrible at knowing who first round. The picks draft are.
1: one's tough. The dra- like, I don't really ever know where people are. You've got to take a shot in the dark. Yeah. Like
0: those. Um, but I think where, um, yeah, well, I think I had one where I actually picked Corbin Carroll and I was actually like, thank God he was actually picked the first round. Cause I didn't realize that he was, but um, I think where I'm, the mistakes that I have been making is that I've been looking for the rarity score and, and missing and then when you miss a when you miss a square, that just kills you
1: yeah gotta you gotta be immaculate first that's first and foremost uh, and then you can look to hopefully get rare players within that immaculate grid but it's been a blast I enjoy playing with you um I just wanted to wanted to let the fans of the show know that uh so far I don't think you have beaten me one day yet I think um, I have I think
0: I got you once you
1: got me one day um, but it's been fun. We'll continue to do it. Uh, it, it does, it, it makes the off season a little better in my opinion, where you could just think about baseball every day to start your day. Um, it's, it's kind of how I start my day. Most days before I log into work, I, I knock out the grid and kind of clear my mind and, and then go to work every day. So if you're not playing the immaculate grid and you're listening to this show, I highly recommend it.
0: Absolutely. And that you find that on baseball reference folks, uh, and then and-
1: just immaculategrid.com.
0: Well, and they do it for, you know, football and basketball as well. So if you're into those sports. Football's hard.
1: Football's hard because I I only really know skill players, right? You don't think about linemen. You don't think about backup quarterbacks. You don't think about third string running backs who have changed teams 15 times. But those are the guys who win you that one. NBA is a little easier. I I think the NFL is the hardest. They have hockey. I don't know much about hockey, so I don't do that one. And they have soccer, and I have not done soccer.
0: I haven't done any of the other ones other than baseball, but hey, if those are your sports, give it a shot. I, it, it's kind of like you know people like to play Sudoku and stuff like that. You know, it's a good puzzle to kind of get your brain moving.
1: Yeah, who doesn't like
0: a little brain teaser?
1: But that's going to be it for this week. Ran a little bit longer than we normally do, but felt like to just the conversation was just flowing here tonight. So wanted to make sure we got it all in. Um, we appreciate everybody who, who stayed with us and made us a part of your week. We love doing this. We, um, it's been a great first year of doing this or so as we kind of come up on the end of year one, Scott, I think we got to plan maybe a year one extravaganza, uh, as we wrap up to the, the end of our first year of podcasting together. All right. But we will see everybody same bat time, same bat channel next week on the stat Hook. thank you for tuning in to the snap hook and making scott and i a part of your week i we wanted to recognize that our intro song was called energetic indie rock by alex Groll, and this outro music is good vibe by Twisterium. we appreciate everyone who tunes in each and every week and is part of the snap hook movement we we'll look forward to seeing you next week the am a snapbook. <laughs>